0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Christmas. Are you well? Wonderful. My name is Mark, and if you're visiting the church, I'm one of the pastors at the church. It's a great, great privilege, and I have the great privilege of speaking to you today for a few minutes on this amazing moment as we remember our King. Remember all that he's achieved and done for us and won for us in this moment. If, uh, if you're a preacher's kid, you have a Christmas a little different. You get to open one present early in the morning, and then you go home, and we do all the presents later. So it's quite a thing for my three boys. We have three boys. They're young. It's been loud. It's been about presents. So we sat down, and they all got one present to pick. So they, I mean, it's a big investigation. And they picked their presents. And the two brothers, our older brothers, just happened to get their main present. And it was like exhilaration. And joy and it's the youngest brother's turn who picked by far the worst present that was possible. You know the one it's big? Because it's a bucket. (laughs) Because we need to make up numbers. And his face was like this. He opened, he was like, It's a bucket. (laughs) And then he tried to act happy and he said, Are you happy? Boy says, It's not great. So, but he's got a lot to look forward to. Uh, And this thing, I love Christmas. Um, I come from a big family. I've got three older sisters who are all professional actresses. So anything we do as a family is loud, is boisterous, has lots of emotion attached, and that's the history of my family. And, um, and, and they big affairs. It's family, it's fun, it's food, it's laughter, and sometimes there's the occasional squabble. Just because. I'm the youngest brother. I should get everything I want. Surely. That's how it works. And, um, but there was this one family lunch, Christmas lunch in the year of 2001, happened in Cape Town. It had been a big year for our family. And, um, you realize what family, you don't get to choose your family. That's your family. We all know that. You don't say it too loud. They might be sitting next to you, but just, just kind of nod to me like this gently, you know, and, um, we sit down for lunch, and, and it was a big year. It was a year my parents got liquidated, and they had to move to Cape Town, and life had been big. My other sister was taking her family and moving to England. My one sister was moving to Germany, and we were having our last Christmas lunch as a family for what would be about 10 years together. We didn't know it at the time, but we knew something was big, but no one spoke about it. It was one of those, you know. Even a family who talks about everything spoke about nothing. Until that moment just after lunch, and we've eaten our full, and everyone's a little bit moch, full, full, he's too, that whole thing. And um, my mom goes in the kitchen as she does. She likes to clean. She starts cleaning. My one sister goes, and we hear this little, mm, like a whimper, just a little, mm. but if you have theatrical sisters my, like mine, it's a little bit louder, a little bit. So one by one, the sisters walk in, and I'm like, oh, no we were doing so well. And one by one, they walked in. Then my dad walked in. I walked in last. And it's just this crazy cry fest on Christmas. As everyone, the emotions are overcome and everyone's processing what had been a tragic year in many ways. But it's Christmas and we're together. And I left my new girlfriend with my brother-in-law, who's incredibly conservative, in the lounge. And they sat together looking at each other awkwardly like, This is awesome. While the family sobbed their hearts out and expressed deep emotions of love and care and everything. Because in my family, is big. But you realize you can't choose your family and you definitely can't choose where you came from and your lineage. You got no say in that guy. Uh, If you go search the Van Pletsen family tree, it's not glorious. There are no kings or queens there's no exceptional sportsman. No one won anything except maybe a lucky packet at Mike's Kitchen along the way. Uh, then, then the earliest memory or family tree is these German pirates on the Rhine. Now, I love the show with pirates. I love pirates. I love Vikings. They were Vikings on the Rhine. They, but then you realize the Vikings and pirates are like thieves and thugs and murderers and not lacquer guys. And they had really bad hair and smelt really badly. None of those work for me now. So you can't choose your lineage. And then there were some dudes who made their way to South Africa and they changed the Z in my surname to an S and, and became part of the Afrikaans clan and they, they did life in Dundee in Natal for years. That's They were pioneers. That's some of my lineage. I go, okay, some of that I can work with them. I might have chosen some of that. And then and then you get a little closer my dad's parents and grandparents and you just find mess. It's just alcoholism everywhere. As my dad's father left and died, my father was very young, and his mother was an alcoholic, so my father grew up in a boarding school. It was just mess. I, I didn't choose that. I wouldn't choose that. It's not something we put up on the mantelpiece and tell everyone about. But I'm so grateful for my parents and my father who encountered the King of Kings, who's changed everything in our story. But why do I tell you all of that? Because it's not glamorous. There's not a whole bunch to write home about. But if you start in the where it all changes in the Bible in the New Testament and we start hearing about our King Jesus, there's this page in between. It's like it separates what was and what used to be and everything that was broken and had no hope. And then there's this little page in my Bible, and if you've got a Bible like mine, it's taking a bit of heat. Um, but then you turn the page and it's called the New Testament, and the book of Matthew starts, and it doesn't start out with an exhilarating setup. I don't know if you've ever started a Bible reading plan that starts on Matthew 1. It's not exhilarating. It's just Jesus' earthly family tree. And I'm going to read that, and I'm going to preach from that today. I did tell Wayne I was preaching from Matthew 1. He burst out laughing. So let's see how that goes. And then we'll see who's laughing. Um, Matthew chapter 1, this is the scroll of the lineage and birth of Jesus, the anointed one, the son of David and descendant of Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had a son named Judah. He and his brothers became the tribes of Israel. Judah and Tamar had twin sons, Perez and Zerah. Zerah had a son named Hezron, who had a son named Ram. There's a lot of sons going on, who had a son named that guy, and who had a son named Nashon, who had a son named Salmon. (laughs) So uh, who along with Rahab had a son named Boaz, Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed, who was the father of Jesse and Jesse had a son named David, who became the king, King David. Then David and Bathsheba had a son named Solomon, David and Bathsheba had a son named Solomon who had a son named Rehoboam. That, yeah, almost, who had a son named Abijah, who had a son named Asa, who had a son named Jehoshaphat, who had a son named Joram, who had a son named Uzziah, who had Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amos, Josiah, and Jeconiah. And it was during the days of Jeconiah and the brothers that Israel was taken captive and deported to Babylon. About that time of their captivity in Babylon, Jeconiah and his son Sheatiel, who had a son named Zerubbabel, who had a son named Abiud, who had a son named Eliakim, who had a son named Esau, who had a son named Zadok, who had a son named Akim and Eliud and Eleazar and Mathan, who had a son named Jacob, who was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the anointed one. So from Abraham to David, were 14 generations, and from David to the Babylon captivity, 14 generations, and from the Babylon captivity to Christ, 14 generations. That's how the Bible chooses to introduce the Jesus has come story. Because then we go to the manger. Then we do the wise men. We do all the shepherds and the bar and the, ah, and those guys, those were awesome, by the way. But that's how God chooses to introduce his rescue mission. And if you've ever started a Bible reading plan, like I have many times in my life, it's like awesome. I get to hit that one again. And get to the end going, what's going on here? Until you start looking at some of the stories behind where God reveals so much about himself. In all those names about stories. And behind each of those lives, and there are stories. And there are innuendos. And there are things that if men were to take their eyes and put a microscope over, if we were to put up the search history of all those guys, there'd be a whole bunch of deleting many would want to do. Maybe like your life. I know, like my life, that if we put up the search history of our lives at times, not just the internet search history, but the history of our lineage, the histories of the decisions we've made, the histories of where we've been, the histories of the people we've given our hearts to and we shouldn't have, the histories of the times we've broken promises, the histories of the times we couldn't help and we didn't help when we could have helped, actually, it'd be a lot of brokenness and despair. And in this lineage, there's a whole bunch of things, and I want to show us a couple of things about who God is today from that lineage the first one is this that our god is a god who got a ridiculous lens to keep every promise he makes there's over 3000 promises made by god to his people in the word of god but we live in a world of broken promises i heard a story the other day of a business where an md or owner of a business a big business had promised his 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 people bonuses if they reach the target, and they smash their targets, and on the 22nd of December, he changed his mind. It's a broken promise. There's a family affected. There's emotions affected. There's a whole bunch of things affected. I, I live a life, and I speak to people where parents keep dropping the ball with their kids, and I know as an imperfect parent, there are times I over-promise and under-deliver, and I try not to do it, but I know that I am not God all the time. And there are people in this room that if you look back, there'll be stories with your parents and spouses and people in your life of over-promising and under And we can look at government leaders as promises made and, and a whole bunch of stuff and Man United. Oh, sorry, that wasn't in my notes. I don't know how they got in there. Just broken promises everywhere. And um, it's not important on Christmas. Um, but God makes these promises. He makes promises like he loves you unconditionally unconditionally is a big word. Romans 8 tells us, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is awesome. And then he says, you you are redeemed and have an eternal heaven. John 3.16, God formed you with the intention that he knows you intimately. Psalm 133 tells me, he knits me together in my mother's womb. God was there in the details of this funny nose and these little ears and these very small nostrils. God was there. Some of you don't know what it's like to have small nostrils. Try sit in the dentist chair when you can breathe through only one. Then you'll know. But he says, Psalm 123, he has plans to prosper you, not to harm you. He has promises like you have special strength available to you, the best resources, the power of Christ. And Philippians tells us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These are the promises of our king. And that lineage that we read through tells us because there is a promise at the beginning of time that from the line of Adam, even though he messed up horrendously. And then his, his sons, one decided to kill the other. And then it just carries on. And and he says, this Savior, this Messiah that will come into will come from the line of David. And David is the guy who slept with Bathsheba. And in the line of Jesus is a guy named David and a lady named Bathsheba. Because God is committed to his promises and he said, my savior and my son will come through the line of Adam and David and 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations of messed up lives. And it doesn't matter. I made a promise. I will fulfill it. And he has made promises over your life that he will fulfill. And it's all there. In chapter one of Matthew. See, two things we need. We need to be saved from the grip of sin and Satan in our lives because that got passed down to us from Adam. And we need a king, a savior. I need a savior. I need Jesus. And I believe you do too. And he's a God who keeps his promises. And he is faithful and man will let you down. And unfortunately, I hate saying it, but there'll be times in my kids' lives, I will let them down with my best intentions. There's a father in heaven who, in the lineage of Jesus, and a whole bunch of incidental names that most people glance over, there's a story of a promised king who never overpromises and underdelivers. He brings his kin, his king, through that line. He sends Jesus, his son, to the world as a substitute for our sin and our brokenness to die for us. And he arranged that one man would come. He'd be both king and savior, so that God. The father could fulfill his promises. I don't know what you know about God. I don't even know. Maybe you don't know why you're at church today. It's the promise of lunch. that Your mom said you're only getting it if you come to church. I've heard that before. I want to tell you. There's a father. who doesn't break his promises. Secondly, I want to tell you from this lineage. That God will work through the most ridiculous circumstances. To save his people. Because that whole lineage and the whole story of Christmas is about a rescue act. Greater than a whole bunch of 12 little Thai kids in a cave, which the whole world stopped to watch, was the rescue act of Christmas, where God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus had to come up with a plan to save man, because we had no hope. That is what Christmas is about. It's not about Jesus, meek and mild, in a manger, little baby. Oh, look at little baby Jesus. No, it was about a son who was given to die. So that we could have a relation with the Father and make a journey and make a way we could never get. I want to tell you about some of the circumstances that God went through to make this happen. And you can say to me, Mark, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know my debt. You don't know my brokenness. You don't know my marriage. You don't know the economics. You're stuck in a church. You don't know what it's like to do business in this world. And maybe you're right on all those fronts. But he knows. He knows. And he knew that Abraham wandered from Babylon to Egypt and back to the promised land. And he was just this wanderer. But Abram's in the story. And then Isaac, well, the same thing. But, but he was almost sacrificed on a mountain by his dad. Interesting circumstance. And then you get Jacob, who was nearly killed by his own brother. And had a difficult time finding a wife. Then you get Judah, whose generation would have died in famine if it hadn't been for his younger brother Joseph. And he's in the line. And then you get the nation of Israel. They lived as slaves. And all these names mentioned were slaves in the line of Jesus. It's not glorious. No one goes around and says, actually, my forefathers, my, aunt, my, my the people who went before me were slaves. But Jesus is not scared of that story. Why? Because everything changed in God the Father. And, and they, they went to the promised land, God's people, and they lived and they learned to, to trust his promises. And they fell again and they messed up again. Again and again. But when they obeyed God, they did well. And when they were rebelled, they didn't do well. But the circumstances didn't determine the end game. And as they went on their journey, and under Jesse and King David and Solomon, the nation had become great and they became corrupt, spiritually corrupt, and worshipping other gods. These are all in that story. From Solomon to Jer- um, Jehoiakim, God had, a, had to be patient with his nation. They were wicked and they were corrupt. This is all in Jesus' earthly lineage. And for generations, they lived in exile. And in the midst of all of that, God preserved his people. But I want to tell you, from a wandering Jew in Babylon, through the slavery in Egypt, through all the brokenness, through all the disappointments, through all their failures, through every time they disappointed their father in heaven, through all of that, God weaved a line that landed up in the perfection of Jesus. I don't know what your story is. I don't know how you got you. I don't know how much brokenness is in the background of your story. In the background of mine, there's a whole bunch of brokenness. Unfortunately, there's abusive women. Unfortunately, there's addiction. Unfortunately, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I wish I could change, but I can't. But Jesus says he'll come into the midst of all of that. And he's not overwhelmed by any circumstance. And God kept going through all the circumstances to make sure there was an unbroken line from Abraham to Jesus. Through wars and famines, through recession, through trial and challenge, God had a plan. I want to tell you point number three, that God will use the most ridiculous people to accomplish his work. And maybe here today and say, well, church is so good and Jesus is so good for my brother who seems to pull it off, but I'm just not him or my parents, or someone else. I'm like, yay, you go for God. But I just can't pull this off. Well, let's see all these guys who are in the line of Jesus, in the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah, the only perfect one who ever lived. Just some of them. Abraham said that his wife was a sister, so he wouldn't have to fight for her. Sounds like a courageous dude. Then Isaac did the same thing, and then he got caught up snuggling to her, his sister. It's a problem. Jacob was a flat-out cheat and swindler, and uh, his name even meant he struggles. Judah sold his own brother into slavery and slept with his daughter-in-law thinking she was a prostitute. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a Gentile from a despised country and a sexually forward woman. If you go read the stories, go read about these names. David committed adultery and then had the husband of the woman killed. Bathsheba, who's mentioned in the name, was that woman. Solomon allowed his wives, and he had a whole bunch of them, to worship false gods. Rehoboam split the nation of Israel in two with harsh ways. Uh, Many of the kings of of Jesus were wicked and they were evil. You, You get the idea. God doesn't hide all of that story and just start with boom, light, angels, shepherd, bah, in a manger. He doesn't start there. He says he's going to turn the page of all history and he's going to start by bringing out all the rubbish. And he's going to reveal it to everyone. Why? Because he wants everyone to know that he will break into the most harsh situations, that he is faithful to his promises and that he'll use anyone. He'll use murderers and cheats and liars and prostitutes and pagans and swindlers and he'll break into their stories. Why? Because there's a bigger story than them. There's the story of the gospel. There's the story of the kingdom of God breaking into this earth and it's kids and it's people and it's all the people and it's people with broken promises, all of that. And the last thing that that list says to me is salvation is for all. It's for all. You're a swindler here. you spent your years stealing from people. For all. I remember telling the church that there was a man in this church, Maurice, who used to babysit our kids. And then a few weeks later, they played Maurice's testimony. And Maurice's testimony, he was an online swindler. Because he had no work in South Africa. And people like, look at me like this. I don't care who he was. I care who he is. What Jesus has done. And I want to tell you the greatest promise is this. John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's rescue mission came so that shows us that the glorious Father doesn't break His promises. That your circumstances don't overwhelm God. That no person is too far from Him. And sir or ma'am, I don't care how good you've got in this life, you need a Savior. One story, and then I'm finished. Last night, I had the privilege of leading worship, and I went back to my phone. And while my friend Gabriel was preaching, I got sent a picture of my oldest friend. His name's Richard Mungavin. We've been friends since six years old. We're at school together, we've done ministry together, we do life together. I got sent a picture of his car with his wife and his 12 year old daughter in a car because they'd just been in an accident as they turned into church, and she was going to preach. She spent the night fighting for her life, and right now she's in a coma, because her skull is fractured and there's bleeding and there's a whole bunch of things going on. And I spent the night on the phone to him. And we always talk, and the preacher always gets up, and I remember being a kid, and the preacher would say, "What if you leave the building and you get hit by a bus? How many buses go past church?" Not that many. But it's moments like that and circumstances like that that remind me that life is temporary and fragile. And when men can do nothing and neurosurgeons do their best. I need a savior. I need a king. I put my trust in the one who is glorious. I'll hold on to who he is. That no circumstance is too great for him. No life is beyond his reach. No, no story is beyond his redemption. I would put to you today as well, that I don't care what your story is. Jesus came to break into your story, to redeem it, and to give you a future that looks different. Jesus breaks into the line of swindlers and broken people and brings the gospel through that line. He wants to do it with you too. You need a Savior, and so do I. It doesn't matter how good you've been. That's what they sing about Father Christmas. I'm not talking about Father Christmas. He's not real. Jesus is. The Father in heaven is glorious. Can we close our eyes for a second, please? And just, um, maybe life got real for you this year. Maybe it was a retrenchment. Maybe it's a spouse who hasn't lived up to their promises. Maybe it's just circumstances that got big. Maybe you've lied. Like Isaac and and Abraham and Jacob, maybe you've lied. And you say, I don't deserve this love. And I would say, in my natural opinion, we probably don't. But God says, it's not about what you deserve, it's about who I am. Christmas is about who God is, not about who you are. And as I leave this morning, I want to offer you the greatest gift you can be given, which is salvation this morning. And I'm not going to tell you you're going to be hit by a car on the way out of here. I'm just going to tell you you need a Savior. And so do I. And I'm just lucky enough to have received that. And I'm asking, if you are here today and you're not sure, You're saying if something like that went down, if a circumstance, a situation got exposed or my search history got exposed, where would I turn? I want to tell you there's a king who dies for you. He got born into this world, lived a perfect life and died a perfect, perfect man so that you could walk in his perfection today, a free gift. And if you don't know that you have that, if you haven't made that decision, or you've walked away, I'd love to pray with you, and then I'm going to close this meeting. But if that's you, will not you lift your hand so I can pray with you this morning. Even if it's just all for one person, it's all worth it. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. We come this Christmas to be reminded of your goodness, to remind ourselves, because we tend to forget. I can't remember what I got for Christmas as a 12-year-old, and I know every energy I had probably went into being excited for it. But I remember the gift of salvation and all that it has done for me. And so I give you glory and praise and honor today. I thank you for these lives today, that they would never be the same, completely washed by your grace Whatever the story before, none of that gets deleted, but everything gets redeemed and restored by your blood, your grace, your goodness. Whatever they were yesterday, whatever they were this morning changes because you are faithful and true. Right now, everything changes because of you, Jesus. And we give you glory and we give you praise and we give you honor. Teach us your ways. Teach us your love. Teach us your grace. We pray. Mighty King. We worship you, Jesus. Can we give those people a hand and give Jesus a hand for all that he has done?